where we left off. 1 Timothy chapter 3, really verse 2, uh, but we'll start in verse 1 just so we can run up on our subject for today. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, we talked a lot about that last week, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. We dealt with that last week very, very briefly. It means that there's no unresolved issues out there that he hasn't or she hasn't tried to resolve. There will always be people that you've had disagreements with that will never see it your way and will never come to your side. So we're not looking at this as a legal list of checkboxes, but rather when we look at this person's life, the gestalt, the whole of their life, is this a person that leaves division, hurt, bad debts, mistreated people, any of that in their wake? Or is this a person that people in and out of the community of faith respect and like? And even though there may be some out there with unresolved issues, this person has tried. It's not because of this person that the issues are unresolved. So again, don't try for perfection here, but rather look at a pattern of life. Rather like Jesus said in, in his first major recorded sermon, when he talked about, you know, by their fruit you shall know them, uh, from the spring does bitter and, and, and fresh water both come from the same spring, look and see what kind of person they are. The husband of but one wife, and again, um, we talked a lot about how these definitions work last week, so I hope you tuned in then. I'll try not to keep referring back. Why the husband of but one wife? Well, there were a couple of reasons. One, polygamy was still being uh, practiced, although not nearly as widespread as it used to be. Polygamy used to be, in many ways, a fail-safe for the community because the people, uh, the, the men would go out and work, they'd go out and war, they'd go out and get into dangerous situations. Whenever uh, a woman was left without a man uh, for protection in those days, remember you had no police force, no constitution, you had no central governing authority, uh, it was it was very much, uh, you're on your own unless you have a community. Men with power would marry several up to their number that they could support. Some of these marriages were done on paper, like Solomon didn't actually have that many women that expected him to hold their hands and discuss rom-coms with. Most of those would have been treaties. So on paper, uh, by agreement, I'm married to one of your family, so we won't fight each other or we'll get uh, a better trade deal. But there was polygamy and it still did exist. And for some reason, uh, it's not really explained, uh, in Christ's kingdom, that just wasn't going to happen. Now, once again, this is not a perfection model. What if a person is divorced and they remarry? Later they come to the Lord or anywhere in there they come could can they still be a leader and the answer is once again are they above reproach did they conduct themselves honorably back then and if not have they repented of that and do they conduct themselves honorably now we can't cleanse past but we can see the pattern of a life and let's say the second marriage has been very successful uh, they're the husband of just one wife or the wife of just one husband it's just that's it's you need that extra set of eyes 
my wife and I, uh, for example, are very, very different. Uh, we have different likes and dislikes and very much different um, wheelhouses, things which we are really excel in and the things that we don't excel in, we find that the other one does or we have community, but that's, that's the whole point. You need somebody at home who will talk to you. You need somebody at home who will encourage you. So it's not just somebody who will read you the riot act and tell you the truth. No, somebody that will encourage you, that will hold your hand when you've made a mistake. You, you need an intimate, personal, private support system. And God has declared here through Paul that this is to be one. This is not going to be a polygamy situation. It goes, oh, by the way, in some churches, they, they put this to where, no, if you've ever been divorced and remarried, you can't because you're not the husband of just one wife. That really shows a non-understanding of the concept of having one wife. And so maybe, maybe on a Monday morning, we'll deal with that very, very soon. Okay? For now. Other churches will say, right, um, the man's now widowed. His wife died, uh, tragically, accident, disease. So he can't be a leader anymore because he's not the husband of one wife. You're missing the point. As stated last week, this is not a legal list of checkbox that you must go through and lawyers are going to pour over. No, it is a general description of a type. I don't see any reason why if someone loses their mate, that they should then be also assumed to not be able to lead anymore. Will their leadership change? Perhaps, you know, I don't know. Everybody's situation can be very different. I've told my wife repeatedly that if anything happened to her, that uh, she was permanently disabled. So I had to be full-time caregiver or she were to pass away. I would leave the ministry. She doesn't like me saying that, but um, I, I re rely upon her wisdom and her insight to the point where I'm just not sure I could pull this off. That said, now that church has moved into this online uh, part of its history and it doesn't seem to be going back, brick and mortar churches are struggling and closing left and right, perhaps there'd be a way forward for me. But perhaps not, because without her voice and her encouragement, you know, to pick you up when you're beaten up on, on one of those days, it'd be hard to continue this. And so he, they want you to be able to have that support system, but also a track record of being able to maintain a close, personal, intimate relationship with a spouse. Because if you've not done it, you don't know how much you've missed and you need to be able to, be, to have that for here. It, it, it'll go further, in fact. It says temperate. I'm um, going to have to talk about temperate in a bit, but before I do, I need to tell you what it isn't. In the Americas, and it was also in England, I don't know how much it got into Scotland. I guess it did through the Salvation Army. There were big temperance movements. Uh, the Ladies' Christian Temperance Union uh, still exists in, in America, although it's very, very small, and most people will never hear of it. But they used to be a, na a national movement, and they would march down the streets and opposing all drink. And there was reason for it. There was a period in American history, as in British history, where men routinely got so drunk that they spent the, the wages, and the wife and the kids lived in appalling, appalling conditions. Uh, and so the women finally got together and said, enough's enough, rather like the women of Northern Ireland did, 
back in the 70s when they said enough is enough, stop it with the bombing and the shooting each other. And it was a women that led that peace movement that was ultimately quite successful. And women led it here. This word, however, does not mean doesn't drink. We're going to get to a discussion of alcohol here fairly shortly, but that's not here. Temperate, temperate means, uh, and we've lost it. People say, well, they've lost their temper. And I've heard people say, no, no, they just found it. No, no, they lost it. What is temper? Um, let's say that you go to the shops and you decide you need a knife, a, a folding knife, just open boxes from Amazon or something when they come in. And you look over and you see some of the folding knives are $150. Some are $5. And you're thinking that, what's the difference? Well, a couple of things will be the difference. It could be that the handle and the, the spring and the way that the, uh, the little hole goes through, the holds the blade in place, that that is weak. <coughs> I've actually seen um, soldiers that were training other soldiers or they were training law enforcement. Uh, asked to see the folding knives that some of the people had carried. And every now and then they'd look at one and they'd slam it into a tree and break it off because it was just cheap. It looked good. In fact, it's kind of a rule of thumb. The fancier, the more bling, the wor more worthless the knife is. And then there were others that they could open up, slam into a tree and pull themselves up. It would hold their weight. What's going on? Again, let's leave out the handle and the attachment. Just go look at the metal. Metal can be made in so many different ways and it all looks the same to the naked eye, but a truly well-tempered blade is one which is made with so many layers that it is able to bend to a point and not break. It doesn't lose its edge easily. It is not easily worn down and it is not bent. So temper is strength with some flexibility. Strength plus flexibility. So if somebody loses their temper, they have broken. They have, um, and, and that can be taken a lot of ways. Normally we do look at it, that brokenness uh, revealing itself in anger, uh, sharpness. I have said some very angry things and some very sharp things. I've said some very sarcastic things, and I've said a lot of things that I thought were funny, but they were heard as angry, sharp, or sarcastic. Um, those were all mistakes then, because if what somebody hears is not what you wanted to say, there's been a failure in communication on, on somebody's point here, and I'm willing to jump up to that line and claim my portion and more of that. But again, are you able to take disappointment? Are you able to hear the word no? Are you able to press forward even when it looks like you might be alone or you are facing opposition? Are you possessed of a good temper? Many layers, able to flex, but retains integrity. All of those things are in this word. And it's sad that we've, we've demoted the word into something to do with alcohol or something to do with anger when it is so much more. Then also self-controlled. And this is very important. In, uh, in Christianity, there is a lot of this self-control thing. And I'm not going to go through, I don't want to be moralistic here, 
because I was raised in a moralistic environment and it does not work. In fact, Paul says so in Colossians, we already looked at that, where there's this, you know, touch not, taste not, handle not. And he says, it looks like it's holy, but it's not holy. It doesn't really help you. So self-control is not an issue of me saying to you or to myself, don't look there, don't touch there, don't taste this. No, self-control is understand who you are, whose you are, and what we are to be about. And do not have to be told. Self-controlled. There's a, Obedient is a different word. Even disciplined is a different word because discipline comes from the word disciple, which comes from a word meaning to follow. So here, self-control means can you police your own behavior? Can you check yourself? Check your spirit, check your words, check your actions, check your, check your uh, priorities. Are you able to do the gut check and control yourself? That would mean controlling yourself in all avenues of your life. We always think of things like alcohol and sex, but we need to talk about food as well and drink, whether it's alcohol or not. We need to talk about controlling our behavior in a vehicle controlling our behavior with our neighbors, controlling our behavior with our children and our wife, to where we do not leave tragedy and brokenness behind us as we move through this world. And we don't have to always be watched. We don't have to always be told. We are going to control our own behavior and do it well, obviously. And then respectable. What other people think about you does matter. We always say it doesn't. We always say, well, no, no, because other people don't know you. Absolutely true. And they can have a wrong opinion about you. Absolutely true. But let's not lie about this. There are ways to live your life that look and feel more respectable than others. When I go to speak somewhere, one of the things I ask is, what is the dress code? Or what is the uniform of the day? If I'm talking to a military or law enforcement group. I don't have a uniform, I don't wear it. But if they say class A's, if they talk about their uh, duty, what, whatever they say, then I know whether I should show up in a polo with a, you know, one of their, they, they give me shirts, with one of their symbols on it, or should I have a suit and tie on? Uh, what should I have? I check. I don't like wearing suits and ties at all, but I absolutely will wear them if that's, what the people expect. Why? I don't want my choices and my freedom to block their ability to hear about Jesus. We can exercise our freedoms to the point where people don't expect to hear anything about Jesus from us. So we clean up our behavior, we clean up our attitude, and we stay aware, respectable. We don't clog up the line. We don't bump into people. We don't walk around like a pinball where people just, you know, everybody has to adjust to us. No, we're going to be respectable, self-controlled, hospitable. Uh, the word hospice, as we use it in the English language now, uh, generally means to deal with end-of-life issues, giving care, comfort, and alleviation of pain as much as possible during those times. A hospital, uh, a, uh, a hospice 
being hospitable, all came from the same root. And that root was when people would gather and put money, this is really, it amazes me that somebody thought this up, and put their time and their money and their skills at risk to house others who needed a place. It could be just overnight, a hostel, a cheap place to, to sleep. It could be uh, someone who is sick, like the Good Samaritan took uh, the, the poor Jew who had been beaten up. He took him to a place and paid money for him to be taken care of. Hotel slash hospital were places where that could happen. And of course that developed. And it developed into meaning more and more a place where you took the sick, the wounded, and the dying. And after a while, it started to mean where you might even take them to get them better. And even today, some people go to the hospital to die. Others go there so that they won't die. So how does this work here? Is the person who wants to be a leader somebody who will share their goods, share their life, share their property? Remember, sharing is hugely important. We just went through the book of Acts before we came here. And Acts chapter 2 right there along with side of repentance and baptism was sharing of their goods. In this world today, when there are refugees, when there are poor, we especially need to be aware of the need to share our goods and share what we have. Here locally uh, in Middle Tennessee, we have amazing, amazing charitable works, such as Grace Works, which allows all the churches in the area to come along board and put all of our money into one place so that they can serve more and more. It's just, and they do it so well, and they do it very, very efficiently. There's not bloat there. Or one generation away, normally called around here one gen or one gen away. Uh, Some of you, if you've been watching our Sunday morning services, have seen Chris and Elaine Whitney before. They're the ones that founded it. They can feed more people on less money, and it's good food. It's fresh food, fresh fruit, fresh veg, good cuts of meat. They can do it cheaper than anybody I've ever met because of the way they make relationships. They are hospitable. Graceworks is hospitable. Are you hospitable? Now, this one I struggle with because I'm a very quiet individual. It's hard for you to believe. If you see me talking, I'm working. If I'm not working, I don't generally talk. And I go very quiet. As an introvert, I get my strength back by being away from people. I love people as much as any extrovert out there. Introverts do love people. They just recover in a different way. But my wife, although she is quiet and and a bit of an introvert, is not as much as I am. And so she helps me be hospitable. Reminds me, these people might need a meal. These people might need to be in our house to see how we live. And I I thank God for her and for her wisdom. A person who will not share their goods is not a person you want to lead a church. I've been in churches where the minister would not give anybody a ride to church because, as he said to me, I've worn out too many cars giving people rides. And I wonder why we have cars then. I've been to places where the youth group was looking for a home to be in so that they could meet on a Sunday night or a Friday night or do some activity. And I, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, we would have them over at our house, but our carpet's new, or we have white furniture, or 
you know, um, being a good steward of what you own and taking care of it, that's important, but people are more important than things. I remember one church that I served uh, finally had to break down and recarpet the whole place, and it was a massive expense. And one of the leaders there said, well, I hope we need to replace it before we're ready. And his whole point was, let's just use this and wear it out. Well, let's wear it out. This brand new carpet, let's wear it out. Let's just bring people in. And when it's worn out, well, then we're going to go, well, we got to replace things again, but it's a sign that we're using it. You don't want to die with beautiful church buildings with a big bank account. Money isn't meant to be stacked. It's meant to be used. And hospitality has a lot to do with that. And you can be hospitable by paying for somebody's meal. And you, we all know people that just routinely will pay for whoever's behind them in line at the drive-in, drive-through, sorry. Regardless of how you do it, be hospitable. Able to teach. Now, I believe the King James has it as apt to teach. And the word apt in English now means um, willing, able, ready, um, almost desirous of teaching. The NIV here by saying able to teach is actually closer to the mark of what Paul was saying. And that is, they don't have to love getting up in front of people, but they should be able to teach. Whether it's in front of people, person to person, they should know enough that they can teach rather than always needing to be taught. Then, not given to drunkenness. This phrase has caused a lot of issues over the year. Uh, years, not necessarily the way the NIV does it here. I believe the King James talks about um, not given to much wine, something like that. And I, when I grew up, I grew up in a church that was absolutely teetotal, at least on the surface. You never knew what people did in their, in their homes. And always treated this as any is too much. I can even remember the sermons. I heard them many times saying some people will say, well, it's just a little alcohol. Oh, well, then it's just a little adultery. It's just a little lying. And, I, and I'm going, even, even as a boy, I'm going, I'm not sure those are not, I, I think those are false equivalents, but wasn't allowed to say it. So let me just go ahead and say it here. You're allowed to have a drink of alcohol. Uh, you're allowed to have a glass of wine. You're allowed to have a glass of uh, beer or, or a shot or something, but drunkenness is never acceptable. Never at all. Getting buzzed is just getting on the line of drunkenness. No, no. There, uh, let me just speak as a, as a science guy, all right? In alcohol, the, the phenols, the, the active ingredient in, in alcohol, is one of those very, very strange elements in our universe. There aren't all that many which start off on this, this dial being okay, good for you, good for you, poison. And there is no gray area. And everybody needs to know it's not good to approach that. For example, you may have heard it said that red wine is good for circulation, heart disease, etc. And, and yeah, it, it pretty much is. Uh, arthritis, there are some, well, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, there are some, uh, several different illnesses that we found red wine helps with. And I've heard, and again, the church of my childhood, I'm hearing these screams, but there are other medicines that are, you know, sure, take the other medicines too. Let's leave that all aside. 
So you have your glass of red wine and you've been talking. So you have another dress, a glass of uh, red wine. Are you, have you sinned? Are you a hundred percent compass mentis? Are you able to talk? Are you, uh, are is your blood alcohol level very low? Not near close, even around a limit. For some people, two glasses of wine is too much. For most people, it's about enough. Because it, it's, it's rare that we find anybody, even those who think they can hold their liquor and it's not affecting them, that when we do studies um, of a physical abilities, cognitive test, after a couple of glasses of wine or more than one shot of, of, of um, stronger drink or one, more than one or two beers, there is a degradation. God wants his leaders to, um, to have their minds and wits about them. Don't all your wits. So it's not an anti-alcohol. It's an anti-taking anything to the point where you're no longer aware, able to function at a high level. And so that's, remember my wife and I were, uh, had, a, had a holiday down on the, the beaches of Florida. We're sitting there under uh, our big umbrella and just reading our books and having a good time. Young couple came over, pulled up right next to us. They're from Boston. And they wanted to talk to us. And they were just going to talk, 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 talk. And I kept wondering, God, what's going on here? And they were just blown away that my wife and I had been married that long and we still liked each other. And it was obvious that we still liked each other. They were blown away by a lot of things about us. And one of the things which just, I don't, I'll never understand this. They bought a big, I don't know, gallon or half gallon, probably half gallon cardboard, like you get milk out of a margarita and had a little spigot on it. And they were having very, very warm margaritas back and forth. And they offered to us and I said, no, thanks. It's all right. And he goes, do you not drink? And I said, that's not, a, it's not an issue. You know, having a margarita is not a problem, but no, thank you. And uh, he said, well, how much do you drink? And I looked at him and I said, I've never been drunk. I've never been buzzed. And their jaws hit the ground. They were very shortly after this discussion, well buzzed and far farther down that road. And my wife and I just smiled. I mean, we, we hadn't taught them anything, at least yet, but we were trying to explain, um, you came all this way. You spent all this money to experience this beautiful ocean and the sky and the warmth in winter, but you're not gonna remember some of it because you even spent more money to make sure you weren't able to enjoy all of it. And tomorrow you're going to have headaches and your stomachs are going to be queasy. So you're going to lose some more time that you could have been aware that you could have had your eyes open, that you could have enjoyed your day feeling better, but it's hard to tell people about. They feel the need to go clubbing and, you know, have a few drinks. You might want to think about why you feel that way. The scripture here isn't saying you can't have your beer after you've done, you know, mowed the lawn in the heat, but it is saying, keep your wits about you and don't be the kind of people that don't keep their wits about them or that throw their money and their days away by being drunk and liking drink too much. God even tells us not to love our lives too much. Read Revelation 12. 
He praises those who do not shrink back out of fear of loving their life too much. So I'm not going to control what you do here. Self-control. Remember? Ah, coming right back to that then. Not violent, but gentle. Now, I think most of us would go, duh, if you're thinking of physical violence. But it is sadly, but brutally true, tragically true, that a whole lot of leaders in churches are violent to their wives, to their husbands, to their children in private. Domestic abuse is a real issue. Anybody in control needs to have several checks on their behavior so that they don't let that control then ease over the line into violence or not even ease over the line. You never approach the line. You don't get the line in your sight. You stay away from it. And that would include the far more common violence of language, uh, being um, demeaning, attacking in your speech, harsh, or going the other direction, using silence as a weapon, using passive aggression, using ignoring, ignoring your partner, whatever. We don't need people like that leading a church. We need them engaged, available, and safe. So I can go up to one of them and say, I'm struggling with this problem. And they don't go, you idiot, what are you, you know, I don't need that right now. Um, I might need it later, but not from a church leader. From a church leader, I need, all right, you're admitting this is a problem. Here, let's start working on fixing it. Without the, you know, you stupid person or slapping somebody, not violent, but gentle. <clears throat> Notice it doesn't just say not violent. Being not violent is pretty easy. Being gentle is harder. Not quarrelsome. I'll never forget the guy that decided just to come after me. I've had, that happens a lot, but this particular fellow. And he just wouldn't leave my email and Facebook Messenger alone. And I finally asked him, just chatting, you know, with him in public. Uh, in person, rather. I said, um, what do you do now? You're retired now. He said, yes. I said, what do you do with your time? He literally said, I argue with people on the internet about scripture. Uh, no. I don't like quarrels. And I don't get quarrels. Um, it might have already run by the time you see this, but in the October's Monday morning messages, one of them is going to actually deal with correcting each other on social media. I've never understood why people feel the need to do that. Uh, I have never, and I've been on social media a lot, and I've got a lot of different sites. But you, you don't see me jumping on anybody else's site saying, you're wrong there. I don't do it. I don't understand why people invite the quarrel and think they're doing it on behalf of a God who said leaders can't be quarrelsome. In fact, Romans 14 says, whatever you think about these matters, keep it to yourself. Not to argue over disputable matters. That's a pesky problem chapter there, isn't it? Takes all the fun out of attacking each other. Well, attacking each other should not be fun. We don't do the quarrelsome thing. I just don't. I get invited to debate repeatedly and nope, not going to do it. You work out your salvation between you and God and I'll do the same. Because that's what he said to do. Then, not a lover of money. Um, this we're, we're, we're wrapping up here pretty close to where we have to split and go off to 
and wait until next week, but I want to talk about money. Several of you give, and I really appreciate that. You give to us via the Tithely app, um, just spell tithe and then add L-Y, and you'll find it in your app store. And you go to our Safe Harbor Church, and many of you give regularly or what, as you can. Others um, give during uh, via PayPal, and there are some that write us a check so that there aren't any fees. And it comes to our post office box in Spring Hill. You can find all this out at our website, OurSafeHarbor.com. I can't, I can't express how much that means to us. It is just overwhelming the encouragement we get that we get to pay our, our light bills. Now, these are the three people on salary at their homes. Where we are at the soundstage, there is no light bill. It's all powered by solar. And it, the soundstage itself is a gift from two very generous people who allow us to use it as we, as we need it. So expenses are very low. But when funds come in, it's just amazing because we can pass them through. Grace works one generation away, flooding in Waverly, Tennessee, flooding in East Kentucky, you know, um, a hurricane down in Alabama, wherever, it, wherever we can and how much we can, we pass through the money. It's, it's just super important. Thank you for doing that. And I found that, um, and especially in the last several months, we're getting churches that are letting, and they're not tied to any particular denomination that I could tell. But they're saying we've been using uh, the Wednesday night classes for so long, or we've been using the, the Monday morning messages for a men's group or something like this. I just want to say thank you. And there's a check in there for $25 or $100. You want to talk about uh, the fumes off of that will keep us going for quite some time. But that said, money's one of those that's kind of like phenols, good for you, good for you, poison. And therefore, we're always open with you. We'll always share with you what our finances are anytime you ask. We do an annual meeting. You can go back and it's, we, we leave it up. It's up on our uh, YouTube channel where we lay out the budget, what's come in, and this is how we use it. But you don't have to wait for an annual meeting. You can check with us. All of this to say, we need to be careful about money because it's one of the quickest poisons on the planet. We need to share what we have and need to be careful that we don't let money poison us as it passes by. Well, um, verse four, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Um, just very, I've had people say, well, that person can't be a leader in a church because he has a 40 year old son who's been divorced three times as an addict and doesn't go to church. That's not a kid. That's an adult. When the kid was at home, the dad did what he could. He managed his home well. Some guys won't become, um, or, or women won't become leaders until their children have left home to go to university or to get married. And the reason is they, they want to focus on their family uh, instead of dividing their time. And I, I respect that. I, I, you make that call. However it works for you, you make that call. This doesn't mean that your kids don't struggle or that you don't struggle. It just means that you make it through the struggles. You still survive and you still work even through the struggles. We got to quit. We're coming up on 36 minutes and we try to keep these closer to 30 in the last six months. And we've shortened them from 45 to this time. Thank you so much. We will continue First Timothy chapter 3 next week. God bless. Let us hear from you every now and then. Info at our safe harbor. 
www.ghanaianfinancialgroup.com.